It's time now for another edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast, the show where we talk transportation no matter what kind it is. Basically anything that gets you from here to over there and all the issues that go along with it. I am the co-host of the show, the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News. My name is Jason Luber. I am pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. You can find me on Twitter at JosephDenver7. He's at Denver 7 Traffic. And a very special shout out to the young man who turned his wheelchair into a go-kart from Super Mario and dressed up as Mario from Super Mario and rode around Comic-Con in his little Mario Kart go-kart. It was one of the most adorable stories I've seen all day. Where where was the Comic-Con being held? I don't recall the city. It was one of those videos that you see on Facebook and you just appreciate the visuals and don't really think too much about the details. But, you know, anytime these, you've seen the costumes before at Halloween where these kids take their wheelchairs and turn them into something more than just a wheelchair, right? And so that's kind of what this was. And I just think it's always neat to see when that happens. And a shout out to all the rescuers who were able to get those kids and the coach out of the cave. I was a little surprised that I didn't hear jeering and uh, maybe even some rocks thrown at the coach once he was removed from the ca- from the cave um, from all the angry parents and angry people for because obviously you would think that he led them in there into the cave. I mean, they were a long way in there, too. It wasn't just like a little, hey, let's just go check out this little cave and go in there for 50 feet. Well, and I mean, now that we're past the hard part of actually rescuing them from the cave, I think we're going to get to the point where we figure out why they were, like, really why they were down there in the first place. And if it was this coach's ignorance or if it, if the coach is just a dum-dum who got tricked by a smarter coach, somebody's going to jail, though. Oh, probably. And or one of the kids just started running or a couple of the kids just started running and and that was it. And then they kept on going and was like, hey, stop it. Where, where'd you go? And there's going to be more coming up. You know what? There's already a movie producer out there. Are we surprised by that? It's, it <laughs> no, feels like a movie. We do have a big show today, though. Uh, in just a bit, we're going to be talking to the author of a well-done story in the Detroit Free Press. Now, this, the uh, article that he wrote, it's called Death on Foot, America's Love of SUVs is Killing Pedestrians. It's going to be a fascinating discussion. Uh, that's coming up. In just a little bit. But first, we have to talk about, first, the dog who pooped over there at DIA. And the owner doesn't seem to want to clean it up. Uh, The video has taken over part of the Internet. And the Internet is very mad about this. And it is continuing to search for the woman who was seen at DIA, Denver International Airport, with the dog, who she apparently let poop on the floor. A social media hunt was launched to try to identify this woman. And then I'm, I'm pretty sure that what the Internet wants to do is publicly shame her to the point that she gets fired from her whatever job that she has or sued or something even worse. Um, they, if you haven't seen it, there is video of it. It's pretty self-explanatory. Yes. I would say. Uh, I mean, yeah, people want to get her fired because people like getting people fired because they have nothing better to do. They've tried to do that to me here. Yeah. Because of what I've said on Twitter or elsewhere. I mean, and let's not make this woman into a victim. Like, pick up after your dog. What, what the hell are you doing? Pick up after your dog, right? See, yeah, there was another passenger on the same flight as this woman, a flight from Atlanta to Denver, who recorded exactly what happened. What he saw was what was uh, going on there on the floor was really the dog who did the dog doo-doo on the floor there. And you can see the woman was just talking on the phone while her dog was on the leash. He was out of the carrier. And then you could see all the poop on the floor. 
right there by the dog and right by the carrier. Um, and the woman is just looking around and then looking at this guy as she is on the phone. Clearly, it looks like she's bugged. Um, but it also looked as if the woman was just ignoring the sizable pile of poop by her feet. It also looked like she didn't have any intention of cleaning up the said poop that was by her feet uh, behind the dog and by the dog carrier. Um, the best part is when she, uh, when the guy taking the video said to her, uh, your dog just pooped all over the carpet. She responded by giving him the finger. In fairness, he did not say poop. He cussed at her. Well, yeah, he did. I might have flipped him off, too. Whether or not I had any intention of picking it up, I still might have flipped him off just on principle. And this guy, same guy who recorded the video said that the dog yelped the entire flight. Uh, he said he was going to go to his connecting gate on the moving sidewalk, and that's where he noticed the dog and the dew, and that's where he was taking the video. So he was able to just to keep standing there on this moving sidewalk and take the video as, as he was moving um, away from the scene. Uh, out of astonishment, he said he, he, he proceeded to video the occurrence and saying the woman, who appears to be in her late 20s, uh, still has not been identified. Uh, good. Like, let's be honest. That's probably a good thing. But many social media people want her identified. They want to have her hide. Um, they are looking out there they, out there on the Internet. So they're looking for her. Um, and they're looking for blood. Mm-hmm. That's what the Internet does. Mm-hmm. I never heard from DIA, DIA uh, about the story or their side or, or, or if the poop was – it had to have been cleaned up. I'm sure somebody had to have called a maintenance person or a yeah, when, person to, to come out and clean up the poop. When I saw this on the rundown, I thought to myself, well, why hasn't DIA sent out a statement? What do they have to hide? And right. I immediately turned to what, what do they really have to say? Like we sent in our best janitor and they took care of it and uh, that's it. <laughs> well, it could have a follow-up in the future, I guess. Uh, the the woman is going to be identified at some point. I think the greater question is going to be, like, what do we do with that information once we have it? And has she already been identified by her employer? Because it's entirely possible that her place of business has seen the video and knows about it, and right. they're keeping quiet for the same reasons that she would be keeping quiet. Exactly. There's no way she's going to come out and say, hey, it was me. Right. Um, but, you know, but anyway, we'll follow. I'm surprised. That, I mean, the guy who shot the video, I, there's just a lot of malice here that seems unnecessary. Right. And like it all comes back to the root issue of like dog owners who don't pick up after their dogs are the worst. Yes. The, the absolute worst. Uh, but to like shoot a video of it and, and go for the public shame aspect. I don't know. I just think that says a lot about you as a person. It doesn't seem like something that either one of us would try to do for any reason other than to spark a lively debate like with the good folks over at Streets Blog. <laughs> They've been very active on Twitter over there, by the way. That's true. Especially about this whole RTD thing. We'll talk about that sometime in the future. One topic we cover a bunch here on the Driving You Crazy podcast is how dangerous it is for people uh, to cross the street, uh, even at at a crosswalk, as your pedestrian, I mean, you are the pedestrian advocate. That's correct. Right? Um, And you see this all the time. There was even a story recently published in the Detroit Free Press. It's titled Death on Foot, America's Love of SUVs is Killing Pedestrians. And joining us live to talk about this is the Detroit Free Press automotive reporter, Eric Lawrence. You can find Eric on Twitter at underscore Eric D. Lawrence. Eric, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks a lot, Jason. So, Eric, your piece is long, but in my opinion, it's well worth the time it takes to read it. What are some of the key findings in your piece? Uh, well, some of the key things are the, the this the spike in pedestrian fatalities since 2009. Between 2009 and 2016, pedestrian fatalities have gone up uh, about 46 percent. 
Um, and, uh, you know, in, in that, we found that uh, a key component, um, a key factor is the, uh, is the rise of, of SUVs. Obviously, people are buying more uh, SUVs, but uh, in terms of the, the number of, of SUV-involved fatalities involving pedestrians, uh, that's, that, that stands out as, as a factor. Um, so SUVs are a component. Uh, distraction. Uh, is another component, but it's it's poorly tracked at this point. Um, we expect in coming years to get a better handle on 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 distractions' role in in these kinds of fatalities. So those are those are a few things. So you really think it's mainly the factor of the uh, of the size of these vehicles that Americans now love to drive. We certainly think it's an important part of it. If you if you go out uh, and walk around a little bit, you can see just see the difference. Um, yeah, in fact, I, as part of the reporting for this, I actually went out to a couple car dealerships uh, with a tape measure and <laughs> kind of to kind of compare, like you know, Honda Accord and and uh, some various SUVs, and to see kind of where uh, points of impact would be. Um, you can tell, you know, it's it's pretty in- it's intuitive. You know, you look at an SUV; it's got the higher uh, profile front end. Some of them are much more of a more blunt. Some of them are sloped back a little bit, and you can imagine uh, what the what the difference would be depending on you know, the size of a person, um, especially a smaller person. If you're hit by a, a, a kind of a kind of a wall coming at you um, versus a car that's that, that's sloped back a little bit more, has a lower point of impact, it might hit you you know lower on the body around the, uh, the 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 legs versus you know around your chest or if your child maybe your head. Uh, so you can you can you can see how that would how that would have an impact, but. Uh, we think it's we think it's important. We don't we don't believe it's the only factor, but um, yeah, there's some, certainly something to 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 this incredible rise in the number of fatalities. And there were almost six thousand people just in 2016 who died who were pedestrians. So, so does this include crossovers? Like I, I uh, lease a Nissan Rogue, and it's one of those mixed cars between a SUV and, and a car. So, so the front end, as I was looking at it when I was thinking about your story is that it, it does have a higher front end than my Chevy Volt. However, it still is uh, uh, not quite as large as, let's say, an F-150. Right, right. And you can see the, the difference. Is the smaller SUVs, uh, CVs, have certainly grown in popularity, too. Uh, so it kind of it kind of blends uh, blends that a little bit. But we're, we're looking at, at SUVs as a, as a, as a group. Um, so we're kind of lumping a lot of those uh, other vehicles in there, in there too. But um, but yeah, definitely some of the newer SUVs are they're built on the smaller platform, uh, like a car. Um, so they're more they're more car-like than some of the the more truck-like SUVs. And you can see the difference if you're walking again if you're walking around, you you notice some 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 SUVs look look more car-like. Um, I've seen on some. Uh, some registrations, you know, some, uh, some. I'm not sure if it's across the country, but um, I believe the like the Super Outback will sit as a maybe a station wagon, um, some places. So, um, so yeah, there's some differences there. Well, and your argument isn't necessarily that the number of crashes involving pedestrians would go down if more people were driving cars than SUVs, but really just that the the way the SUVs are built or what's causing these crashes to go fatal. We recently had an incident here where a man was hit outside of a crosswalk by a work truck. Um, and, you know, that was an injury that nearly killed him. If it, if it was a sedan, maybe he gets hit in the legs, he flies up, he breaks something, but he's still breathing. Is that kind of the synopsis here? 
Right. So what we found was that there was some, uh, it was buried in a, a report um, from a number of years ago, I believe it was 2015, was, uh, was a line about uh, SUVs uh, being two to three more times, two to three times more deadly for pedestrians uh, being hit than a, than a car. Um, and even higher for, 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 for children, um, I think up to four times, I don't know the exact age range, but, um, but, but yes, you can, you can definitely see how that would, how that would play out. So yeah, the idea is that the, not, it's not the crashes have increased that dramatically, it's that the, the crashes themselves are more, are more fatal. Um, and you know, speed and power of the vehicles plays into that as well. But, um, but sure, yeah, SUVs are, uh, larger a larger vehicle hitting somebody at, at the same speed as a car would be you know potentially more uh, more fatal more damaging we're talking to eric lawrence he's the detroit free press automotive reporter about his piece called death on foot america's love of suvs is killing pedestrians uh, eric one interesting part of the piece that i noted is where you quote a pedestrian advocate his name was john wetmore and he said speeding is the most important determinant of whether a pedestrian dies in a crash. So do you think that it's speeding is maybe more of the problem here, or is it just a matter of the type of vehicle involved in the crash, or maybe a combo between the two? I, I think you can attribute it to a combination. I mean, it's, as one of the, the doctors we, we spoke with mentioned, he's like, you'd rather be hit, you know, he, he he thought it was he thought speed was an, was the important factor as well. But he's you know obviously you'd rather be hit by a smaller vehicle going fast than a bigger vehicle going fast. Um, the percentage of of accidents or crashes that, that are fatal um, goes goes way up when the when the speeds uh, increase, and that's been you know that's been something that's been uh, played out in the research uh, for for a long time. Um, and you know, cars cars go fast. Um, a lot of a lot of times, speed is is involved. Uh, so you can and you can imagine what would happen to you if a car was if a car or an SUV were, were to hit you at you know, forty miles an hour, fifty miles an hour versus a very slow speed crash. Um, and later on in the article, you talk about automatic emergency braking systems and how that's it, it appears is going to slowly become an industry standard over the next few years. Uh, t- do you? How much of the research and development have you looked at for that? How did they come about this technology? The well, it's it, right now. It's 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 in use um, in in higher end vehicles. Uh, you can see variations of the technology um, in in place. Um, I do I do some I tested various vehicles out at different times and. You know, some uh, I'm, sometimes I'm surprised at some of the newer vehicles that don't have uh, don't have this technology, and then uh, a lot of it, a lot of vehicles, uh, a lot of the higher end and certain certain brands of manufacturers uh, employ it. It doesn't mean it's going to have uh, pedestrian uh, crash avoidance. Uh, maybe it may be a more basic uh, system that would simply it's adaptive cruise almost. You know, uh, things things like that. Um, but uh, you know, you can see how if you had something that could t- detect a pedestrian um, and it, w- it could break automatically, um, that, how that would how that would help. Um, and you know, automakers have signed on to uh, to bring this technology uh, to the fleet by 2022. Um, that would be these would be voluntary uh, standards. It's you know it's not clear yet how uh, how how robust the systems would would be. And, Clearly, some would be better probably than others at detecting 
pedestrians or whether or not they do protect the pedestrians. Uh, it's not uh, not exactly clear, but uh, but that's that's a that's a step forward. And you know, this kind of technology is you know or, or is considered a first step toward you know driverless cars. So you you know obviously you need to have uh, this kind of technology in place to to kind of move forward, and you know, where the, in the in the sphere that all the automakers are, or most of them at least, are are, are pushing toward. And there's a lot of money going into that kind of research. Um, so uh, you can see too that some some of the manufacturers uh, have a have it pretty widespread in their fleet now, and then then other ones um, do not. You know, Tesla, Mercedes, um, are, are are a couple companies that have have it in a lot of the fleet. Um, and some other ones, um, Mitsubishi, uh, Ford, uh, Fiat Chrysler, uh, some others that, that 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 do not at this point. But all the ones we spoke with said they're uh, they're committed to that 2022 timeframe. And you you being in Detroit, seeing all the latest automotive technology, uh, you're at the forefront of, of seeing what's coming out of uh, out of Detroit and out of all these automakers. Detroit, Ford just announced that not only are they going to make fewer regular cars they're going to just start making more of these crossover suvs trucks bigger suvs but they're also going to try to go all electric um in in the future and and so is this going to be this pedestrian versus uh big vehicle uh problem is do you think it's going to be solved by the automakers or do you think there's going to be some kind of regulation that might uh come out of washington come out of some of the cities to to help protect the pedestrians maybe um, curbing devices, whether it's uh, a slower, uh, let's say, so speed bumps or, or that sort of thing, traffic calming devices that that ultimately might help save people's lives. Well, I think the looking to to Washington for for regulations. This this is a kind of a, an environment where I, I don't know that I'm not sure how much of that we're going to see. Um, there's certainly uh, there's certainly an effort to to bring this technology that could. Mitigate some of the stuff to to, to bear. Um, uh, NHTSA had put out a statement to, to us when we were asking about what the, you know, the standards, uh, what they what they were looking at, and they said they're they're moving forward with um, some 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 of the efforts uh, from their end. Uh, but in terms of like uh, in terms of like uh, the the infrastructure that could be in place to to slow speeds, things like that. I mean, you see that you do see that at the city city level here in Detroit. Um, there's a big project on the east side of the city to uh, to to build, uh, I should say, to to create a road a road diet, and that's where you kind of slim down the traffic lanes, um, add uh, bike lanes, uh, more pedestrian infrastructure. Uh, that's that's underway on a major thoroughfare on the city's east side. That's of course that that kind of thing is going around going on around the around the country. Um, yeah, that's that's something that that could be done. But that's that's definitely at the local level. Um, I think in terms of the automakers, uh, they're going to be looking to develop technologies that will uh, help them as they move into this, the, you know, presumably autonomous or driverless car future. So I think that's where we'll see uh, much of the development um, as far as uh, regu- so as, as far as regulations that really that really attack this kind of stuff. I, I don't know. We'll we'll see. So as a reporter, I, I kind of want to get a sense of how hands-on you get. With your, you got with this story on two senses. And first, in the research of how the SUVs with the point of impact uh, hit you differently than a sedan, and also with some of this self-driving technology that's coming to the forefront, how much of that stuff have you really seen on a first-hand basis, and how, how did you go about your research to find some of this data? 
Well, I guess in terms of the in terms of looking at the vehicles, I can tell you just you know as we started looking at this at the story, um, you know, in fact we 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 started out looking at the our kind of general general idea was we were going to see like distracted driving meets distracted walking was kind of the assumption um, that going going into it we did, we weren't thinking as much about vehicle type, uh, but as we as we were getting into it a bit, um, I noticed myself I was I would start to really. <laughs> really look at uh, how the vehicles were 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 designed, and I I had I can't say I'd ever looked so much at like a, the front ends of some of these uh, vehicles, um, and it's it started to be become a lot more obvious to me um, how how big of a factor uh, vehicle design would play play in this. Um, and then as I mentioned, you know, just going out uh, mostly for for uh, help with the information for some of our, our graphics and the stories. Uh, just with the with an actual tape measure to actually find where some of the points of impact would be on some of the uh, some of the vehicles, um, and again, kind of kind of eye opening. So you you assume that these these things are more more comparable, but then even even uh, not even the largest SUVs compared to some of the the cars, it's, it kind of stands out. Interesting. Well, and and so my second question would be. One of the more poignant moments in the article, I thought, was when you started listing off the families who had been impacted by these pedestrian accidents and sort of reminded the reader that these are people. These aren't just statistics. And and I just wonder, when you were doing your research, was there something that stood out to you in in finding those stories that that maybe uh, is a story you'd like to share? Well, I guess in terms of a in terms of a local story, um, the uh, I spoke with the brother of of, of a gentleman who was uh, killed uh, walking in Detroit. He's a uh, he's a veteran um, who was killed in 2016 on, on Veterans Day. He was crossing a street at a crosswalk, um, which in actual that's that's a that's a little un, unusual in terms of the the national statistics. You know, a lot of the fatalities are outside of crosswalks, but uh, he was crossing uh, at a crosswalk, and it was a uh, it was a hit and run driver, um, and that that was something at play in Detroit and some other places uh, where hit and run hit and runs involving pedestrians are, are, are a substantial part of the the picture. In Detroit, it's uh, like it's it's uh, it's clo- approaching fifty percent. It's on, it's under fifty percent, but it's it's a lot of the crashes. Um, and just you know, really talking to the, to his brother about. Um, uh, Maurice Parker Mims is the gentleman who died, and he was a Red Cross volunteer. Um, is you know obviously uh, any death is is tragic, but you know if you talk to somebody about um, what their loved one means to them, and you know here's here's somebody who was just taken uh, taken too soon, obviously, and uh, you know he survived uh, he survived military service only to come home and he dies on the street, um, and. Uh, and you know he he really made an impact on the people he knew. Um, he is somebody who uh, his brother told me that he was somebody who taught taught him a lot. Um, you know, he was growing up. He taught him uh, <laughs> how to read. Uh, he taught him to read forwards by teaching him how to read backwards. So <laughs> that was just something that stood out. But um, yeah, just you know, touching. You know, it's it's we don't always think about how much people uh, people have an impact on us. We're talking to Eric Lawrence, Detroit Free Press automotive reporter, about his piece, Death on Foot, America's Love of SUVs is Killing Pedestrians. Eric, you are in the uh, Detroit area. Obviously, you are covering automotive news all the time. We've talked here on the podcast about the predictions of self-driving cars and that technology, and we keep hearing it's going to be you know, two or three or four years. 
we think, or I think, that it's not going to be for another 25 or 30 years. Um, what what do you see coming out of Detroit, and what, what are your feelings on that? Yeah, I think that we hear a lot about uh, this kind of very Im- this impending uh, advent of the technology um, as if it's going to be in wide use in just a few years. I, I don't think that's going to be the case from everyone that I've talked to who really follows this. Um, they think it'll be uh, much more staggered. Um, you know, it'll come in, in 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 some of the technology that's in use. Um, more more of the the driver assistance technology will be in in regular cars. I think uh, you won't see um, widespread driverless cars outside of uh, you know certain certain areas for for some time. Uh, you know, you, you you see them in some place like they just rolled out a, a driverless shuttle uh, in in the city of Detroit. Um, but it's a you know it's a real specific area. They call like a geofenced area where you know the, the, it goes to the same spot every day, or you know it's, the route's really well defined. So it's basically um, they, like yeah, one of those rides at Disneyland that have those little tracks that, <laughs> that mm-hmm. you just get on the ride and it goes yeah. around in a circle and then you're done. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I think I think that's how how it kind of goes. I mean, you're going to see, you know, they've talked about you know deliveries and things like things like that. You know, some you know, localized people movers, you know, fleets, things like that. I think it's going to be a while before you go and buy a, or you know, who knows? Maybe the ownership model changes too. But um, you probably got to go down to your dealership in in three years and buy a driverless car. I think that's quite a ways off. And where do we go from here? Um, where does your story end here, or do you continue to follow this? No, we have uh, we have some uh, potential uh, follow up stories. You know, we want to look at some of the some of the other issues that that, that affect this. Uh, so one of the issues where we want to want to drill down a little bit is is poverty and uh, how how things like that can affect uh, people who are pedestrians. A lot of the folks in Detroit and other cities. Um, it's not just that they you know, choose to, to be pedestrians and you know, they kind of forced through circumstances. Um, you, know, you know, walking is, is encouraged, you know, uh, so you have, you have people who, are, who choose to walk and uh, people want to walk, um, but you also want things to be safe for people, people to walk. So we want to look at a little bit more at, at some, of those, some of those issues. Uh, who knows? Maybe there will be some some changes that that this will foster. I know we've gotten a lot of attention. Um, this this the story has that is. Um, so so maybe uh, so maybe it will prompt some 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 regulatory push or or some more uh, more interest in uh, in developing uh, vehicle standards more to protect pedestrians. Um, that we'll see we'll see if this, some of those things happen. So there's some potential areas where we can follow up on. Well, I know that uh, Detroit is is starting to rebuild um nothing like what's going on the boom here in denver and there are a lot of people like joseph here who who chooses to be a pedestrian there's a lot of people who now live in downtown denver it's a booming town where people want to live in downtown and there's new apartments and new condos all the time so this might be a a good part of your study to see how many people at least in a booming economy wants to be pedestrians and, and and the issues that they face um because there are as as joseph sees it all the time um, uh, you know, near misses and obviously hits and that sort of thing from people who are are not necessarily uh, 
let's say poor or, or they don't they can't afford a vehicle so they have to either walk or take mass transit they choose to walk because that's just their lifestyle well and i'll tell you this that before reading this article i had never thought about the difference between being hit by a honda civic and being hit by a honda pilot right but then you you really think about the grill of the vehicle that's coming towards you and it's it, it's a totally different ball game like one of those cars is just going to be an inconvenience and like break your legs and the other one could kill you and so to to jason's point one of the things that i noticed in your story is talking about the difference between high income low income neighborhoods in terms of who's walking and who's dying in these crashes um and so i think you know it would be interesting to track that going forward to Jason's point, if there if that becomes more common in these higher income areas, but I think it's going to be different between cities and their economic levels. Like Detroit, obviously, doesn't have the boom that Denver has right now, or other cities across the country. Nashville is bo- is booming like crazy. Um, Florida starting to come back. Parts of California. Um, so I think it's different depending. Like Stockton is still not great. Um, so maybe you're going to see a difference depending on on what the economics are like in each individual city. Right, and we saw. I, I think I don't have the statistics, but talking to our our um, our, our, uh, our numbers person here, uh, Christy Tanner, who helped, who uh, was a part of the story as well. You know, she was talking about some of the differences in uh, in I believe it was Newark, New Jersey, and kind of the demographics of the people who were getting hit. You know, uh, tended to be uh, out. You know, presumably it was more people uh, who who had maybe been been out drinking a little bit. Um, versus versus in Detroit, you know, it was fewer people, fewer people drinking, maybe people uh, getting to and from a, a place, but but yeah, uh, we saw we you know even though you have high numbers of pedestrian fatalities in some some belt cities, uh, it'd be probably a different demographic from folks who are getting getting hit and killed in places like Detroit and St. Louis. Eric, thanks a lot. We were talking to Eric Lawrence, the Detroit Free Press automotive reporter, about his piece, Death on Foot, America's Love of SUVs killing uh, is Killing Pedestrians in the Detroit Free Press. Uh, you can see it online. You can uh, go pick up a copy of the paper, I guess, if you're in the Detroit area or nationwide. You can see it online. Eric, thanks again for joining us. All right, thank you very much. And coming up, 3D printing is great. So great that it might be able to be used to make your drive smoother. We'll explain that story and so much more as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. I'm Daryl Orr, and you're listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast with Jason Luber. The Driving You Crazy podcast. I am an avid listener of this. Every uh, week, one day a week on my way home, this is the first thing I put on. This is why I love the Driving You Crazy podcast. You have Jason Luber, who gets so angry about minor things uh, sometimes. Uh, but he brings a, a real attention to some of these things that the rest of us may not notice on the roads. And he finds uh, crazy stories uh, from all over the world about how they handle their traffic problems. So it's always fascinating to listen to Jason and Joseph talk traffic on the Dri- Driving You Crazy podcast. Uh, love it. One of my top favorite podcasts, and I listen to a lot of them. Nicole Brady, only on Denver 7. Molly, why should people watch the Denver 7 morning show? I don't know. No. <laughs> because we have a lot of fun in the mornings. We've got a great group of, of uh, co-workers that we all work with. We all get along. There's great energy. 
of course, they're, you know, we're on top of your breaking news and your weather and your traffic. But I don't think that that's what makes the morning show so great. I think that it's the people that I work with. They're all fun. You know, we're a little crazy. You have to be a little crazy to get up at 2.30 in the morning and come into work and, and look alive on TV. Molly Hendrickson, only on Denver 7. And welcome back to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. And I'm sorry to report this to you, Joseph, but it is all over for the once-dominant peanut, except maybe at baseball games. Southwest Airlines is not going to give out bags of peanuts on their flights anymore. There it is, right there. It's over. It's over. I feel like I'm doing a George Costanza. Right? (laughs) Peanuts are such, and I'm being serious about this, peanuts are a fascinating flashpoint in modern society because, like, there are, I don't know if it's an increasing number of kids, but we're noticing it more in kids that they have allergies to peanuts. I lost a friend to a peanut allergy. Like, just didn't know that there were peanuts in a cookie that he was eating, and he passed away very quickly. You know, Really? The, I did. That's a true story. And and so, like, the idea that we keep peanuts out of these public shared spaces is a smart idea, you know? And it's unfortunate that we're losing out on, like, the iconic Southwest bags and stuff, but pretzels are good, too. So we heard about the rumors of this story. So Southwest sent us here to the newsroom a statement And that statement reads, Peanuts Forever will be a part of Southwest history and DNA. However, to ensure the best onboard experience for everyone, especially for customers with peanut-related allergies, as you just said, Mm -hmm. uh, we've made the difficult decision to discontinue serving peanuts on all flights beginning August 1st. We hope that our free pretzels and the wonderful portfolio of free snacks on longer flights served along with our legendary Southwest hospitality will please customers who might be nostalgic or sad to see peanuts go. Our ultimate goal is to create an environment where all customers, including those with peanut-related allergies, feel safe and welcome on every Southwest flight. We'll miss the peanuts, but at the end of the day, it's our Southwest employees and the hospitality they deliver that sets us apart far more than peanuts ever could. Best regards, the Southwest Communications team. Biggest problem I had with that statement... Not about the peanuts, not about the policy, but it's when they said they have a wonderful portfolio of free snacks. Um, What exactly is a wonderful portfolio of free snacks? Well, Jason, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Are you a free snack expert? (laughs) When is the last time you flew Southwest? Uh, I don't. I, it, it's been maybe a year or two. They do have a very nice portfolio of free snacks. That is a true statement. I did not realize this, but they have a partner. They must have a partnership with Nabisco or one of those companies, or they just buy in bulk. But you can always get like little mini cookies, little mini cheeses. Like you can get. I was just looking on their website, and all I found was the drink menu. Well. And now it's making me thirsty. They're cutting to the chase with the website. George is getting thirsty! Look, if if you really want to have your nostalgia killed, just jump on a Spirit flight or a Frontier flight and look at the $4 can of soda oh, and the $3 I know. bag of chips. Yes. Like, I'll take Southwest free whatever they want to give me for free. Yes, but however, 
there and their prices are still very competitive even by pre- providing the uh, the free one the one bag which is really surprising that they still are as just as competitive as Spirit and Frontier who don't a genuinely remarkable company and that they can offer free bags which no other company offers more snacks than the real deep discount airlines offer and yet they're right there every time you look in a fare search exactly and it, it, but that gives them a competitive advantage, just like they say with their hospitality. I, I, they do a great job. I like flying them because when you do, they give you the uh, option for their in-flight Wi-Fi deal, so you can watch their uh, the shows on your own device, whether it's a tablet or phone or whatever the case may be. Well, and I, I, I mean, aside from the person getting sucked out of the window, uh, <laughs> yes. We very rarely hear horror stories on Southwest flights, at least not in the same way we hear about Spirit and Frontier. Like or we're United. Ne- well, that's just it. I mean, we've never had the dis- catastrophe that we had at DIA two Christmases ago with Southwest, like we had with Frontier, where they had thousands of bags that just couldn't get reunited with their owners at Christmas. These things just don't happen to Southwest. And it, it, just recently, in the last day or two, we had this uh, investigative story where there was this a uh, deaf couple or person, right, that couldn't mm-hmm. communicate with the gate agent, and so there was some kind of la- uh, communication language barrier there, and, and Frontier couldn't figure that out, and these people missed their flight. They missed the this, I guess, what was it, a birthday or some it, it kind was, of gathering or it, something? It was a couple, and there was, and there was an older couple, and their, their child, I believe it was the daughter, was the one who brought the story to us, and Frontier, and let's just bash on Frontier for a second. I mean, they're supposed to have an iPad that can make a call that connects you to a sign language interpreter if you're deaf. Like, that should be a thing that happens within three minutes, and the fact that they couldn't do that is just dis- and. Not something that happens on Southwest. Right, but, and, and, and the, I think their communications team over there at Southwest does a better job with this sort of uh, problem. And not, not that, the, let's say, this problem would have happened to them, but if there was a similar situation, uh, you know, I think it is all about how you get ahead of these stories. Mm-hmm. And, and Frontier, they gave them their money back and gave them a voucher. Well, these people don't want to fly Frontier again, so nope. the voucher is worthless. It would have been better if they would have given them a voucher for a different airline or any airline or or, or a, a trip, a, another free trip of whatever the case may be. Interestingly enough, when you say that, and I, I tend to agree with your assessment that they don't want to fly Frontier again, but free talks and money talks, and eventually I do think that, you know, you, you forgive and forget with these big airlines. I do remember when the Christmas thing that we were just talking about came up, one of the most revealing quotes we got from Frontier was a PR person saying something to the effect of, as long as the fares are cheap, we're fine. What, right, but that shouldn't be the way they go forward when they're Agreed. handling customers yep. on a issue-by-issue basis. Mm-hmm. That's where it really is separated between the great companies and just the average ones. you got to think creatively, and this is a different kind of world now. You can't just give somebody a, a little voucher and say, well, thanks for flying. It, it's, it's just a different world now. You can't say what? <laughs> thanks for flying. <laughs> you like that? That was good. That was good. One hazard all drivers need to be on the lookout for, obviously, is wildlife, Joseph. True. In Jefferson County, Missouri, outside of St. Louis, there was a bull on the loose on one of their highways. Someone who saw the bull said it looked mean, said the bull tried to charge a couple of passing cars. And we're going to compare that to the much different story the owner was laying down. He said the bull, named Claymore, is, quote, super cuddly. Great name. Great name. He said the bull is a baby and was most likely looking for another bull that was moved a few days earlier. So 
it was just, I guess, a lonely bull looking for his friend. So let, let's 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 dig a little deeper here because I think it's very easy to see both sides of the story, right? You have this owner that's very familiar with bulls that said, "Oh, little baby is just looking for his friends." Claymore is just looking for his pal. And then you have somebody who is not around bulls very frequently who looks at this bull that is frantically darting about and searching for his friend and says, "That bull is crazy. Please get him away from me." My question is, where is Claymore's bull friend, and why was he moved? I mean, that should be the real issue, right? The owner has some explaining to do. Yes. Um, but it's also, I guess, a b- bigger part uh, uh, or, a, or a part of a bigger issue. Animals on ro- roadways. Because I nearly hit a bird on the road the other day. Um, there were some wild turkeys that, that usually roam the road just south of me. Yeah. Living on the south side. Well, and, and I mean, like, there's deer and moose, too, and elk, and all those fun animals that just Bear. prance out into the roads and don't even think twice about it. Um, when it's dark and foggy, I feel like, isn't that when they co- when the larger wildlife comes out more? Yeah, I get to see elk all the time on my drive-in. Um, no bulls yet. I was taking a corner up in New Hampshire one time when I was young, and there were like five cars stopped in a line, and I was 16, so I was like, well, I'll just go around these idiots. And I went to go around them, and no, they were stopped for a moose. Ah, and I was go. very close to hitting the moose myself. It was a good time. Well, drones are great technology. We, we love drones around here. You like them? I do. I like true. them. We all like them. Uh, those of you out there that said you don't like them, well, you haven't heard this idea yet. Researchers at the University of Leeds and the University College London think they can outfit a drone with a 3D printer and use them to fix potholes. Brilliant, as the British would say. Brilliant. They say the drones could do all the work more efficiently and save time, costs, and the efforts of manual labor. The way it would work is they have a six-rotor drone. It would scan a road for potential repair opportunities using the onboard camera. If a pothole is detected, the drone lands right above it. Uh, it makes sure that the mounted asphalt extruder, as that's what they call this contraption, is directly atop the crevice in need of filling. Uh, and then it releases material such as asphalt, um, they say, with a one millimeter uh, percent accuracy or one millimeter accuracy. On top of that, the prototype not only repairs roads and leaves potholes smoothed over, but it also improves the surrounding asphalt by dispersing other chemicals into the road around it which is supposed to help rejuvenate itself. Uh, Researchers say it helps roads last longer, and the bigger picture is all about smart cities controlled by uh, robots that can intertwine with the city and actually help out humans and uh, all the tasks that they don't want to do. I find this fascinating. I picture it basically like a drone with a piping bag attached, right? Like you're putting frosting on a cake, but instead of frosting on a cake, it's just asphalt in the pothole. Right. And it seems like... Realistically, this should have been one of the first things they convinced a drone to do, right? Like, hey, let's go fix all the potholes in America. And I, I guess my question is, doesn't this just create another job opening, the drone pothole filler? Like, all you have to do is sit in a room here in Denver, and I could be filling potholes right. all across America. That'd be perfect. Mm-hmm. That'd be, and that could be a new job. Yep. You could be the one-man pothole filler. Good Lord, all that video game experience <laughs> would finally come to good use. And we don't know how soon this could actually be implemented. Um, it'll likely take a while for construction companies to hop on this uh, seemingly niche pothole bandwagon. I mean, is the technology there yet? Have they have they tested? Well, it they're out? trying it out, go? but I don't think they're ready to go full scale yet. 
Um, it seems inevitable, though. It certainly seems inevitable. This is one. You know how we always talk about drive, self-driving cars are going to be here in five years? This is actually going to be here in five this years. This could be here in five years. This should be here in five years. This should have been here yesterday. Yes, I look at my should. road, and I'm like, "Why? give me a drone. I'll go fill them. And this is some of the best news that I've heard in a couple of weeks, Joseph. The big airlines, we just talked about a little bit about some of the airlines. Well, they finally filed a legal document with the U.S. Department of Transportation to put an end to the ridiculousness of all the different kinds of emotional support animals we see on planes. Yay. <laughs> we have brought this up. Um, we've, we've brought you the most ridiculous stories. It does feel like we've taken a couple of months off from these stories. Well, I, I think some people are maybe calming down. Okay. Um, I mean, because we had that woman at the airport in New York with the emotional support peacock. Um, was that the straw that broke the emotional support animals back? That one or the or the uh, dead, the flush, the hamster down the toilet? No, that was, yep. Okay. That could have been it. Because um, we've heard about emotional support turkeys and possums and snakes and spiders and more. Well, now the biggest U.S. airlines have all come together to try to do something about this situation. And the result is a 39-page legal document that makes clear just how crazy it has all become. Now, the document cites a 56% increase in one year in the number of passengers traveling with emotional support animals. One member airline reports an eight times increase just in the last six years. They claim there's an almost uncontrollable surge in passengers who are trying to fly with, quote, wild and or untrainable species that the passengers claim as emotional support animals. The airlines complain in the document that the number of incidents involving animals are manifesting in aggressive behavior, including barking, biting, nipping, growling, and fighting. And there's also the problem of uncontrolled urinating and defecating on the airplane. A topic that we've already covered on this podcast. The airlines also blame the cheap and easy availability of fraudulent uh, credentials via unscrupulous vendors letting people with untrained and unsuitable animals claim they're medically necessary as support animals. I won't go into my usual rant here except to say that they're all fraudulent credentials and we really need to establish the two or three companies that are going to license these things. Right. The end. My brother had, you know, did the same thing, paid the 100 bucks, whatever it is, and now he takes his dog everywhere. You can literally print them off online now. Right. And have a credential that's good enough to get your dog. I still am thinking about doing this and naming my daughters as emotional support people, animals, and therefore I can take them onto the plane by, uh, without paying for them. I don't know if I would have to keep them under the seat. I was going to say, wouldn't they have to sit on the floor? Hey. Come on, man. Hey, if it's going to save me 600 bucks. <laughs> uh, but here's the main problem. as the air- I'm not doing that, folks. I'm not doing Here's the main problem, though. As the airlines see it, the DOT requires all the airlines to let a wide variety of service animals fly, but they never actually define what a service animal is or what training or qualifications the animal needs to have. Ironically, other federal agencies do define service animals. For example, the Justice Department says dogs only, but those definitions don't apply to airlines. So as a result, you can't bring an emotional support peacock or iguana on a train or a bus or into a retail store, but airlines are on much shakier ground to stop you. So like with so many other aspects of American life, the law is just out of date. Right. Because the airlines want the DOT to copy what the Justice Department standard is, and limit the definition of service animals to only be dogs. No more crazy animals on the airplanes. This, only dogs. This sets up a fascinating debate with cat people. 
couldn't a cat be an emotional support animal? Of course. I feel emotionally supported by both of my cats. Now, I understand why I, my dog provides more emotional support. I do think my dog is significantly smarter than both of my cats. So that that makes sense. But I, there's definitely a subset of people that's like, let me bring my cat on the plane. What about my fish? Well, my fish has just recently died. So no. I'm not going to bring a dead fish on the airplane. Um, but what would stop you from bringing a dead dog as an emotional support dog on the airplane? That's horrifying. What about if it's stuffed? Well, if it's stuffed, it's not a problem, right? <laughs> but it could still be my emotional support animal. If it's stuffed, that's not uncontrollably urinating and defecating on the plane. No, it wouldn't be yapping either. That's true. It'd be, it'd be awfully quiet. Now, also under DOT rules, they seem to allow an individual passenger to travel with as many as three different support animals at once. So you would be able to bring both of your cats and your dog all on the airplane at the same time. I, mean, I don't even have to get my wife involved, right? No, no, it's all three uh, to one person. Beautiful. The airlines want that to be limited to just one animal. So they want the basically the limits to be one dog only per person. Thank you. And the airlines list some restrictions they want to start using unilaterally. For example, barring passengers from having animals like goats, hedgehogs, insects, birds, and any other animal on the endangered species list. The document also lines out some other requests like wanting to be able to require people traveling with support animals to actually check in with a person rather than simply showing up with an online boarding pass. And they want the right to ask passengers more questions about the animals and require them to provide documentation of vaccinations, training, and behavior. Good. All of these are good things. I, don't, yes. I, haven't, I have yet to hear a single thing laid out here where I'm like, man, you know what? That's a little too far. And, I mean, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense, all of it. It's all common sense yep. and probably what should have been done a long time ago. Right. I, I've, I've basically only seen dogs on planes. I really haven't seen a whole list of crazy animals on planes. Allow me to take this conversation in a different direction. This is the media's fault, right? Like, right, because we're, we're showing all these different crazy this animals. This is squarely on the media publicizing the crazy person who brought an emotional support peacock on the plane. This is the fault of every news station in America picking up this local story of one woman and turning it into this national sensation that we all talked about for a 12-hour cycle. You know, this, this is... This isn't even a conversation that's happening about people bringing peacocks onto the plane. This is not something that we sit around the dinner table being like, hmm, I wonder if I should take my exotic bird on an airplane. <laughs> this is something made up by the media, frankly. And, and, and I think that we all have to look in the mirror as members of the media and really ask ourselves if we should be publicizing stories like this in your average newscast. Yes. No, on the Driving You yes, Crazy we podcast. Should. Yes, we should. Yes. <laughs> we, well, this on the podcast and on the news because people are crazy. And people need to be put into check a little bit because they – look – this is a free society, and you have – it's just like saying free speech. We have free speech if we're standing out in the corner and we don't have a job. But if we do have a job, I can't – you know, it's right. the old the fire in the, in the theater kind of deal. And that's, that's, I don't have free speech, and so should we be all just be free to bring our animals on place? So here's what I'm saying. There needs to be the responsibility to not just give these people an open mic. Right. Like you can't just let emotional support peacock lady have a minute and a half to tell her side of the story and not balance it out with the with the other 200 passengers on the plane who think, get that thing out of here. Well, yeah, that, that is true. But I haven't seen crazy thing. I mean, I've seen the dogs. I haven't seen anything like an uh, uh, armadillo um, yet yet. You know what? Actually, the thing about an armadillo, it actually probably be able to fly easily because you could hold it into a little ball. Right. Don't they? Curl up in little balls? I was actually going to go, it, my obscure animal was going to be a bald eagle. And I actually think they probably fly. But they are a protected species. But 
they probably have there are probably bald eagles like out there that are like in zoos and stuff. Oh, right? you do have because I've seen them at uh, like at a stock show where they right. they're like rescue uh, yeah. places that rescue some of the birds that mm-hmm. can't fly or take care of themselves. Yep. So they have to travel, you know. And, but and I think uh, if you try to take a bald eagle, one of these. Uh, uh, let's say it's even emotional support, whatever, you'd bring a bald eagle on the airplane, everybody's going to cheer. That probably is the one different kind of animal everybody's going to cheer for. Everybody will adopt it as their own emotional support animal for the duration of the flight. Exactly. And everybody's going to want to see it. You know what the other problem about uh, armadillo is that if it does go into a ball, then it becomes a weapon, right? You could throw the armadillo as a ball and, and hurt somebody. Top five... Emotional support animals next week on the Driving You Crazy podcast. You know, I think think that's possible. Because then, well, it would be like bringing your emotional support sailfish. I don't know what that is. Because that that also could be a weapon. (laughs) I guess the water problem is also an issue. Because then you could bring emotional support sharks. Mm -hmm. Could you? Lionfish. (laughs) Sea urchins. Anglerfish, I don't Save know. Save some of this for next week when we do our emotional support animal power ranking. Oops. <laughs> Is that what we're doing? <laughs> All the different possible animals that... Anyway, I think I, I think we are going down this road where we will soon just be able to have one emotional support dog or service dog on an airplane going forward. God bless America. I could see that happening. Uh, it's a common sense document. It probably needs to be adopted today. How long it's going to take... Well, we don't know, and so we'll follow the progress right here on the old DYC podcast. Driving you crazy. Yep. Well, that's about it. That's a great show right there. That's a jam-packed show. Leave us a review of this great show on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. We sure would. Uh, Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for being here. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. I'm common sense enthusiast Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. Happy motoring.